Welcome to Psychedelicast. Hosted by Clinton Cayley, this show is an interview-based podcast focused on offering listeners in-depth information concerning plant medicines, entheogens, and all subjects tangential to psychedelia. Join us in prying open the third eye. Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Psychedelicast. I'm Clinton Cayley. I'm the host and creator of this podcast, and I am so happy that you've been able to join us today for another attempt in prying open the third eye. Fascinating conversation to offer you today with Miss Isabel of Trippy Advisor. Uh, Isabel is a psychotherapist and a qualified hypnotherapist, neurolinguistic programming practitioner. Uh, She's always been fascinated by the effects of psychedelic plant medicine and passionately believes that each individual has a responsibility to understand the purpose of each trip and to evaluate their mental and spiritual state throughout the process. So much can be gained from taking the time to consciously process a trip, from creative inspiration to personal evolution to exploring the collective consciousness through the symbolism of hallucinogenic visions. Isabel works with people who have had experiences with cannabis, MDMA, LSD, psilocybin mushrooms, DMT, and many other psychoactive substances. Uh, She works in a person-centered way using techniques from psychoanalysis, CBT, Gestalt, Jungian, and mindfulness therapies. Um, And as we'll get into later in the episode, she is listed in the MAPS directory of, uh, I believe it's a MAPS directory for uh, integration uh, support. And uh, we'll get into this conversation with her, which was fascinating. We cover some heavy topics. So right up he- here at the front of the episode, I've never done one of these before, but I will do a kind of a, uh, a content warning here. Uh, you, sh- you could probably tell up from the title of the episode some of the things we might uh, delve into. But we do discuss uh, some very heavy issues in this uh, episode revolving and concerning uh, traumas of various sorts, including sexual trauma. So um, if that's the kind of thing that is not going to be in your wheelhouse right now, totally understand. Maybe just skip this episode and come back and check us out next week. Um, but, you know, our chat with Isabel was f- very full of information and insight, and uh, I really enjoyed meeting and speaking with her. This is a good episode, and uh, I think you're going to really enjoy it. Let's do our housekeeping, and we'll get right into it. So first things first, let's talk about Patreon. You know we're going to do it every week. Um, We're having more and more people join. That's exciting for me, and I really appreciate our Patreon. Uh, You can find us at www.patreon.com slash psychedelicast, where you can become a Psychedelicast psychonaut. Some of the perks that this will entail is multiple extra episodes uh, a month, at least four extra episodes a month uh, that are exclusive to Patreon members. Um... I generally release the actual video version of this audio podcast for my patrons uh, early. So, for instance, patrons um, this week had access to the video version of this chat uh, probably four or five days ago. I think I released it for them on Tuesday night. Um, You're also going to get the option to come on the show and tell your own trippy tales and discuss anything you'd like with me in an episode which will be aired for patrons only. Also, going to be given access to all other Psychedelicast Psychonauts uh, trippy tales and stories. All other patrons' uh, episodes will be available to you and only you and only exclusive Patreon 
members. So um, for only $3 a month, I feel like you're getting a great value there. Um, I don't feel bad at that asking point at all. In fact, I will probably eventually raise that um, slightly. And those, of course, who've already be, you know, early uh, psychonauts will be grandfathered in. But uh, it'd be really cool if you join us there, support the show, and uh, meet some of the other people in this community. We've got some great uh, like-minded individuals in there, and we really want to build that community up. So join us on Patreon, support the show, and uh, get access to a bunch of other cool exclusive stuff. Why don't we do... Um, why don't we do Psychedelic News? In Psychedelic News today... We're going to offer you an article from TheGuardian.com written by a Miss Linda Geddes on Wednesday the 9th, uh, December 2020. This article is entitled Psychedelic Drug DMT to be trialed in UK to treat depression. UK regulators have given the go-ahead for the first clinical trial of the use of the psychedelic drug dimethyltryptamine or DMT to treat depression. The trial will initially give the drug, known as the spirit molecule, for the powerful hallucinogenic trips it induces to healthy individuals, but it is expected to be followed by a second trial in patients with depression where DMT will be given alongside psychotherapy. Taking the drug before therapy is akin to shaking up a snow globe and letting the, and letting the flakes settle, said Carol Rutledge, chief scientific and medical officer at Small Pharma, the company running the trial in collaboration with Imperial College London. A quote here, the psychedelic breaks up all of the ruminative thought processes in your brain. It literally undoes what has been done by either the stress you've been through or the depressive thoughts you have, and hugely increases the making of new connections. Then the psychotherapy session afterward is the letting things settle piece of things. It helps you to make sense of those thoughts and puts you back on the right track. We think this could be a treatment for a number of depressive disorders besides major depression, including PTSD, treatment-resistant depression, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and possibly some types of substance abuse, to end the quote there. DMT is found in several plants and is one of the active ingredients in ayahuasca, a bitter drink consumed during shamanistic rituals in South America and elsewhere. DMT is also available as a street drug in the UK, where it's classified as a Class A substance carrying a maximum penalty of seven years in jail for possession and life imprisonment for supply. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, or MHRA, approved the trial on Monday and Small Pharma is currently involved in discussions with the Home Office, which must also give permission because DMT is a controlled substance. The hope is that the initial trial, which aims to establish the lowest dose of DMT that elicits a psychedelic experience, could begin in January. It will involve 32 healthy volunteers who have never previously taken a psychedelic drug, including ecstasy or ketamine. This will be followed by trial in 36 patients with clinical depression. The treatment will be modeled on studies of psilocybin, the psychedelic ingredient in magic mushrooms, in depression. Here patients are brought into a clinic where they undergo a setting session, during which the clinician primes them to open their mind to the drug and ensures that they are comfortable and relaxed. Next, they are administered the drug and once the psychedelic experience ends, the patient immediately undergo a session of psychotherapy. 
The difference with DMT is that the psychedelic experience comes on faster and more intensely, but is over more quickly. Whereas a psilocybin session takes all day, and if you're doing two or even more of those, that's a large time commitment, a DMT session, all in, will probably take under two hours, said Peter Rands, Small Pharma's CEO. We expect DMT to be rapid acting, equivalent or perhaps even better than psilocybin, so within hours of a session you will get rapid relief from your depression. We also expect the effect to be sustained over a similar time period. One recent trial of psilocybin and psychotherapy found a continued reduction in patients' depressive symptoms four weeks after taking the drug. Previous studies of ayahuasca have also suggested that it might have an antidepressant effect, said Amanda Fielding, founder and director of the Oxfordshire-based Beckley Foundation, which designs and develops psychedelic drug research to inform global drug policy. I myself don't find DMT to be a very lovable compound, but it is definitely an interesting study to do, she said. It's a harsher compound than other psychedelics like psilocybin or LSD, where the experience is more like a flower opening and receiving what's already inside you. DMT triggers a strong psychedelic trip where people experience what they call the entities. They meet beings who seem to be real, like being in a dream, but it can rather take one over. And that's the end of the quote there from uh, Amanda Fielding. And that's the end of the article as well. So um, a lot of stuff that's kind of redundant there, but basically the UK is going to begin uh, trials using DMT to treat depression. Exciting stuff, you know, akin to what we're seeing here in the States. And uh, it's kind of scary to see shit about like the company is called Small Pharma and like just hearing the word pharma uh associated with the psychedelics is like uh it's kind of creepy to me but i'm hoping that uh this is going to be good for you know more people to access this medicine that they need uh they need to have access to so uh, i think that's a promising read and uh with all of that being said let's jump into this uh let's jump into this chat here with miss isabel from trippy advisor Take it away. Because when I <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because when I was <laughs> other podcasts and there's like all kinds of interference, I never give a shit either. So I'm like, mm, most people probably don't care. I just thought because I was listening to the one you did about um, going to do DMT, the what's it called, the toad medicine, right? And you did the interview with the guy. Um, <laughs> And yeah, there was a lot of background noise, but I just was like, this guy's fucking gone and traveled and like fucking gone to meet these people for real, you know, it just makes it more exciting. Yeah, 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 for sure. And in that instance, I was like, you know what, I can deal with a little background noise because he was like, he wanted to be outside and I wanted him to be in his element because he was a strange dude as is like, just, he sounded you know. <laughs> so cool, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he was a really cool guy. That guy, yeah, we our relationship was short and sweet, but it was uh it was a good meeting and I needed someone like him 
for that mm. specific medicine because I was trying to wiggle my way out of doing that one. I was really scared. And he kind of finally just put his foot down and was like, dude, you're doing this. So just stop talking. <laughs> we all need someone like that, don't we? You know, I find it interesting yeah. that like um, in these ceremonies, there's a lot more sort of men who are working in this field where actually women who are being therapists and you know working in that field um and I've always found it quite important that you have you have this relationship with your therapist and she's probably a woman right um and you can work out some serious kind of female energy issues within that relationship but there's a whole nother side that like wouldn't it be interesting to also get therapy with with a man and like see what issues come up for you there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that as well. It seems pretty prevalent in these in these psychedelic. Well, at least in the West, that interested are generally more men. Mm. Um, at least where I'm from, that may not be a good generalization, but uh, I know it's been very important for me to have in these ceremonies strong masculine figures. Because there's a part of me that longs for that in in a way that I never had with my father and and, and these other things that have happened in my life. So whenever I go mm-hmm. into these ceremonies with these men who like are very confident and they're healers, I always develop kind of like a father complex with these guys like during ceremony, which <laughs> is like they become like surrogate fathers for me a lot of the times in yeah. these instances. And it's not that the relationship carries on beyond that. Um but I've definitely had moments where I'm like seeing these guys as my father or as another mm. uh, strong male figure. And that's really gotten me to some some deep places that I didn't know that I needed to go. You know, that's pretty deep. That resonates hard with me. I think. Yeah, I think I would appreciate that in those types of situations as well, because I think a lot of it is a kind of about archetypes as well. Um, and for me, like it's just growing up with this idea that like these shamans were like just mystical fucking people like that could kind of guide you through stuff and like that kind of presence for me is really compelling um but I'm thinking about other you know who are the shamans in your life like people who have turned up and have managed to redirect you for some reason at the right time or who've like kind of shepherded you out of like a difficult situation and I've definitely sort of known friends who I could say that were there for a reason, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm. And that's a good way to put it. We come across these other people in our lives that are equivalent to shaman in the effect that they have on us. And in a way, though, maybe I think of shaman as someone who's delivering medicine and guiding ceremony. That's not always necessarily the case. Mm. And, yeah, I've come across those men and women in my life for sure as well. Um, but I have like some daddy issues, I guess is what people call it. And, you know, my my father's still here and our relationship is rocky at best. We, we've been working on it. But there was a time when it was really, really bad. Yeah. And I was really searching for like a, a male guide post because it was also really bad at a very um, at a turning point in my life, like in my mid 20s. And I was kind of deciding my place in the world. And I really was like longing for this like elder or wise man or someone to just confide in and help me. And my father was unavailable for that. And so I found it elsewhere and through in friends and and medicine and things like that. So, yeah, um, I've definitely come across those everyday shaman as well. That's interesting. (laughs) 
concept. Yeah. yeah, and that's crazy, isn't it? That isn't it crazy how some people do get to a point where they're able to start working on these relation like parental relationships with the participation of that parent. And for a lot of people, unfortunately, they kind of have to work all of that out by themselves and come to that level of acceptance. And I think mm-hmm. there's pros and cons to both ways, really. But um, it, yeah, I think closure is a big thing. And I think, yeah, that psychedelics are, are big for, for closure on stuff that feels unfinished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I have many anecdotes of closure with psychedelics that I was unaware that I even needed, like something would come up and it would be like, (laughs) wow, that's, that box is still open somewhere in my mind. Okay. And then we kind of get through that. But before we get too far into, we've already kind of got into it here. uh, Why don't you briefly uh, introduce (laughs) yourself and tell listeners who you are. And then uh, I have some questions for you because I've been wanting to talk to someone with your expertise for quite some time. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself and then we'll kind of move through some of this. Okay, sure. So I'll try to provide expertise on what I can comfortably provide them on. Um, sure. Yeah, so I'm Izzy, Isabel, um, and I am running Trippy Advisor, which is basically offering integration and grounding uh, therapy to people who've done psychedelics um, at any point, really. Uh, the reason that I started that was because you can look through people's lives in so many different lenses, you know, in therapy, whichever model you decide to use, whether you're working with somebody on a relationship issue, but the the issue will touch all areas of the person's life. And really you're just looking through one, one pair of glasses. Um, And I think that the experience that people have on psychedelics, even though it's so unique and individual and subjective, um it's almost a language without words it's an experience that if you have experienced it you can you can really use that as a whole new perspective to look at life through you can unpick a lot of things will become apparent through talking about the content of the trip um that can be quite you know psychodynamically enticing (laughs) to a therapist Mm -hmm. um but equally the bit that I like to work with a lot um, and I know I'm just going on on tangents here, but the no, please do. The psychology of a of a psychonaut, you know, of an aspiring psychonaut. What are we reaching for? What are we searching for? What is it about this that's so uh, attractive to us? And what are we expecting to find? You know, what really are our intentions? Um, is there an end goal? Is there an end point? Um, is this something that we should be doing long term or is this something like that needs to be done once in a lifetime, you know? Um, so I think for me, it's just so interesting to work with people who've done this. There's just so much, so much stuff that comes out, out of it and um, integrating kind of like Western psychology in with it is really fun as well. Like kind of using like gestalt uh, therapy techniques and stuff. It just seems to work so well. Um, but I, I'm a hypnotherapist and a neurolinguistic programming practitioner. Um, and I'm just finishing a counselling qualification as well so that I can kind of integrate all of that stuff. 
But the hypnotherapy was where this all started for me because I was learning about altered states of consciousness and all of the kind of things that could be achieved if you only uh, relax, basically. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, a woman who wears many hats. Um, yeah, so I had – I forget. Who was my other guest I had not that long ago? They were talking about the psychedelic experience being like a like a like just a long gestalt like series of gestalts mm-hmm. over and over and over and i was like i'm not even really particularly familiar with that term and they uh they broke it down for me but now even now i can't really remember what it was what is a gestalt again like what is that yeah i i i listened to that episode as well um and that really got me thinking about it as well so the way that i would explain it is that it's kind of means wholeness or completedness and what we do with our techniques in gestalt is we're trying to help somebody complete something consciously that is unconsciously unfinished so Mm. it works quite well for things like you know like closure so relationships um, that felt unfinished in some way you can help that person to have kind of a dialogue with the other party even without their involvement So like I was saying about people who don't kind of get the chance to work on things as an adult with their parents, you can really, when you're like, you know, when you're writing a letter to somebody that you're never going to send, um, what's happening in your brain is very similar to what happens if you actually communicate that to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a real benefit in kind of, you know, like the empty chair technique, kind of you put this other person in this chair and have the client speak to them. Um, And that takes a really, that takes so much trust and such a good rapport between the client and therapist that I think, you know, it is kind of like a shamanism type thing. You're helping somebody on a journey through what's in their subconscious, through things that are conflicting inside them. um, And you're helping them to complete that in a way that means even if they can't communicate it outwardly to the person, they can then move move forwards and release it from their psyche in a way. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I've definitely had that experience before. Like we were talking about in, in the very beginning, I've had these moments where it was almost like I felt like I could release like certain things, um, especially the the dad stuff. Like I've definitely had that moment in ceremony where like, for instance, one time I was, I was eating peyote and the shaman came and I was crying and I was kind of just like mourning this like loss of relationship with my father that I felt at the time. And he asked me like, why are you crying? And I kind of saw him as my father and was like, even though, and I think we both kind of understood what was happening there for those like five or 10 minutes where I just was like letting it out and just kind of explained to him what I was feeling. He could kind of see that I needed to have almost this like surrogate moment with, with the father figure. And it was very, it was very uh, relieving for me. And it really helped me to let go of a lot of the like kind of uh, pent up aggression I had towards my dad or like this kind of Mm. angst I had towards my, And like after that ceremony, I was just like, I was able to kind of think of my father in a different light than instead of in anger and in like, you hurt me. It was almost like, you know, your dad's hurt as well. And you can see him almost as like a, a, a mirror of yourself in a way. You know, like um, when you have very visual trips, you know, something like DMT where, um, you know, it's closed eye visuals a lot. 
Um, sometimes you can see threatening type images or images that like would be threatening usually, but for some reason you're not quite, you're kind of dissociated from the meaning that they would have in, in our world, in our culture, in our media and whatnot. Um, and you're just seeing them for what they are and the feeling of kind of fear or whatever is not necessarily associated with those images. Um, and that's kind of on a, uh, you know, a visuals basis. But then if you think about the same process happening with your emotions and your memories um, and how you relate to other people, you're kind of seeing, you know, your trauma and you're able to revisit it in kind of a compassionate way without that fight or flight response that you would have normally. Yeah. And I was able, you know, I was able to treat myself with a little more compassion and therefore like able to treat my father with a little more compassion. It's weird. Like it's like you're dealing with your, if you can deal with yourself, you can kind of deal with what seems to be this extrinsic factor. Like my dad has his own problems. Our relationship has its problems. But if I can fix this within myself, then then I, or if I can allow this to be like, if I can let go of this, then it kind of fixes it in our relationship, even though it's like we don't technically come to an agreement. It's like mm. I've come to an agreement with myself that I'm going to let it go. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with boundaries, doesn't it? Because I think the ba- a good boundary doesn't really rely on the other person's response to it, does it? It kind mm. of just means that you're secure in what how you're going to respond to, to that um, and that you kind of have a plan of what your limit is. Um, and I think that really helps. And I do think kind of spiritually, it's probably one of the best things, the most life-changing things that a person can do to be able to forgive a parent uh, and come to terms with a parental relationship kind of when you reach adulthood. But I think that has to be preceded by a time where you realize how much they fucked you up. So even getting to yeah. that stage can be hard for a lot of people. Well, I had a lot of time to get to that stage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I said, me and my dad are trying to mend our relationship as best as possible. It's gotten much better. But there was a time when it was just like I thought I thought we were probably never going to speak or see each other again. Wow. But we've got we've kind of moved into a better place at this it's point. It's pretty crazy how much things can change there. Yeah. And it did in a short period of time. And it wasn't just because my decision to change our relationship, but it was also, you know, he finally started to come around and man, I, I remember being in that peyote ceremony and be like, God damn, I wish my dad was here. Like I, I just wish my dad yeah. was, had the capacity to come and do something like this because if he could just be here in this moment and see like what mm-hmm. I'm seeing right now and, and experience this, like it could change so much for him. But, uh, so my dad actually, this reminds me of, um, you know, something else I wanted to bring up was kind of like other types of psychedelic experiences that we have in life. You know, um, one of the things that like I thought was so great was your episode where you were talking about your breakup and how that affected you. Um, cause it was just really real. And I resonated with that so hard. Cause I thought I've often thought that heartbreak is probably the, one of the most psychedelic experiences I've ever been through. And you can really be in an altered state and for a long time after that. Um, but my dad would take me sort of, well, before COVID actually, he took me about three years in a row to see, um, Australian Pink Floyd, which is like a Pink Floyd tribute band, but they're fucking awesome. 
they're pretty big and it was it was psychedelic as fuck because you could obviously feel the music through your body um there was like live singers so just belting the fucking music obviously Mm -hmm. sick like guitars and stuff but the lights were absolutely wild like Mm -hmm. light shows like I'd never seen before and at the end there was this huge like inflatable pink kangaroo like the size of the theater that like bounced onto stage and it just became this like what the fuck is this you know (laughs) um and I I felt like I was super emotional because my dad was there with me and because we were sharing that experience and we don't tend to talk too much with words to be honest um so that was just you know that took it to a whole nother level it was like a trip it was like we were tripping together and I've always mm-hmm. ha- had a little secret like wish that you know we could do shrooms together one day or something but I don't know if yeah. you would <laughs> yeah uh that's crazy. I went to a concert with my dad years ago. We went to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I had a moment like that, too, where there was this old, like, old Red Hot Chili Pepper, like a really deep cut that it's not one of their, like, radio hits or something. And I knew the song, but I, like, look over, and my dad is just, like, belting the lyrics to the song. I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck does he know this song? And apparently, like, that had been one of his favorite albums back in the day or something. But it was, like, really, like, yeah, the, and the lights were going, the music was, and it's, it was a really, like, kind of an emotional song. It was called, I could, it was called a, I Could Have Lied off Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which remains one of my favorite. Nice. But it's kind of, a, like, a, it's kind of an emotional, emotionally stirring song. So, yeah, I, I've had yeah. a similar moment to that as well. Yeah, and, it's uh, crazy. But this is the thing about, um, you know, having an interest in psychedelics you have an experience like that and then part of you's kind of thinking this would be fucking great if i was on shrooms right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, for sure So we have to be really careful about trying to bring trying to integrate that back in so that for example like the the diff the easy different way of looking at the difference between something like cocaine right where yes you're given Obviously, it interacts with your kind of pleasure and reward systems a lot. Um, But it it gives you a heightened state. It opens up parts of yourself that, you know, you you could integrate, like, you know, being more confident or whatever. Um, But because of the the chemical come down, integration is near to impossible, I I feel like, with with drugs like that. Um, And I don't necessarily see the spiritual value in doing them. But with... uh, with shrooms, obviously, there's and with psychedelics, there's not usually a come down like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our kind of golden opportunity, I think. Yeah. No. And I and I I kind of I've had this discussion recently with somebody. Oh, I think I did an Instagram live and someone was talking about heroic doses. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I'm not so big on heroic doses because I always find the peak of the trip to be obviously as awe-inspiring and just as stunningly intense depending on dose and substance it doesn't really some of them are so the peaks are so overwhelming for me that I just feel like I'm in a torrent of like psychedelia and it's crazy but I can't stop to think about something or sit with something so I kind of I kind of have to get over that first like hour two hour like roller coaster to get to the point where it's almost a lull and even though I'm still interacting with the medicine, sometimes in a really strong way, 
Mm -hmm. I'm able to actually kind of like manipulate my thoughts again, instead of it seeming like I'm being manipulated by this force that's stronger than me. I think that uh, definitely comes with, um, with kind of practice a little bit, doesn't it? And it kind of comes with, once you're able to do that, you're no longer really so worried about bad trips because you're quite aware that, that, it is hard, you know, you swing from one thing to the next quite quickly sometimes. Um, and you're like, how did I, you know, get from sobbing about something to hysterically laughing about something? Um, and I think it's, you know, learning, it's the resistance. I think the reason it's so fascinating for me is because the way that somebody responds to psychedelics can tell you a lot about how their ego is functioning and how their resistance is functioning towards things. Um mm. And I think every different, I mean, what do you think? Do you think different psychedelics have interacted differently with your ego? Hmm. Yes, for sure. It also depends on the dose. Um, and also this is difficult, a difficult question to answer because it also depends on the time in my life and who I was at that point and what I was going through. But yeah, I've definitely had, experiences that were very compassionate, gentle, teaching, wise type type uh, instances. And then I've had like just complete destruction of reality and yeah. really, in, really like I've described them before as violent, but like that's yeah, the I best way I can say it. Yeah, I heard you describe them as violent and I thought that, that, that def- there is a scale of violence. You know, I, I feel like maybe ayahuasca is quite up there on the mm-hmm. violent scale it was then, for me yeah maybe lsd in the middle and then shrooms a little bit less or something maybe that's just I, my own that's kind of the, a scale that i would give but it also is like once again it's kind of subjective because when i drink ayahuasca i have no idea how what the dose was you know like yeah. I, I saw the amount of ayahuasca but who knows what the constituent is or like how much dmt is in there yeah. per milligram i think so the main thing it, is you you had a lot less than the guy next to you right yeah i had the, <laughs> I, I had the smallest amount poured in the room and it was just the most unbelievably intense thing I've ever experienced. So I'm sitting like, I'm just like, I'm just dumbfounded after the ceremony thinking like I saw this guy drink like at least three times the amount. I cannot fathom what that would be like. Like, I I don't know if I could have survived that. (laughs) I know. And I think so. Yeah, I think. um, So at the moment, obviously, I'm in the UK, the landscape, the psychedelic landscape slightly different here. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of promising stuff, you know, there is research going on. But culturally, I think because it's still very much criminalised, people don't seem to be that aware about it. Um, It's still you could still accept the argument that there's a certain gateway problem here, whereby because it's illegal, whoever you buy this stuff from may well also offer you something else and other things will be available to you as well. Um, so at the moment, I think it's kind of important that for me, I kind of uphold, I don't want us to trip ourselves up in our psychedelic revolution. You know, we need to represent ourselves well and the, 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 you know, bad press could really disrupt the flow of what we're trying to work towards. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm planning to get myself out and do some ayahuasca, 
Um, and I managed to do some shrooms in Amsterdam quite recently as well. Um, mm. But when I was younger, yeah, I did I did some psychedelics, you know. And um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the funny thing that I thought about LSD, it was the first it was the first psychedelic that I tried. Um, and my friend had done it many, many times. She She's a proper shaman, you know. When we'd taken the tab, she was like a freaking fairy elf, like, you know, light being. And she was the most mm-hmm. grounded, reassuring person to have around. Um, but she sort of took a tab and I took a tab and I was like, not much is happening. And she took another one and I was like, oh, give me one as well. And she was like, mm, OK, if you're sure you know, you'll be okay, but you don't have to take, and I was like, but I was like, I'm not wasting, it was New Year's Eve, I was like, I'm not wasting this, you know, mm-hmm. so I took another one, and um, that was, you know, I was part of the couch pretty quickly, and everything yeah. was the couch, um, and it was, there were moments, you know, like when I tried to go to the toilet, and the walls are bending, and that kind of stuff, and when I got back to the room, I was just so happy to see her, Um and I know that most people find it very difficult to kind of go to sleep once they've taken LSD. It takes a while. It's quite a long trip. But I became very like I was bargaining with the spirits, kind of like, you know, OK, I won't I won't look for answers so much. I'll be more content if you'll only be take this easy on me, you know. And I managed to hold it together pretty well. But there, were, at one point I, I forced myself to go to sleep sort of after a few hours, you know. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I get, maybe I couldn't take it anymore, but the main thing for me, it wasn't really the content of the trip or what I was seeing. It was the fact that when I came, came to the next day in the morning, oh my God, I was so happy that everything was normal again. And ah, yes, that I've has had this lit- experience many times. <laughs> this is, this has stayed with me since then. And whereas I used to be always seeking, always looking for something a little bit more and a little bit more exciting and weird. And I guess I still am in a way, but you know, even just seeing my face in the mirror, I was just like, thank God, it's just the same as it was before. No better, mm-hmm. no worse, you know. So when you look at the psychology of what's happening in terms of like the anxiety of building up to taking something and that resistance and the decision to do it and the preparing a safe place for oneself. Um, and then, you know, the integration afterwards and the gratitude as well. I think that that is the conscious part that is really easy to work with in therapy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to step into a little different direction here. I know we talked somewhat about psychedelics and sexual trauma. Mm. Um, I kind of want to step into that world if you want to, because I've been wanting to talk to someone about this and I know maybe this isn't like your specific area of expertise or what have you. So you can disclaim whatever you'd like, or you don't, we don't have to discuss certain things if you don't want to, that's fine. Um, but I'm curious as to like, what are some of the different therapeutic modalities used in practices concerning sexual trauma? I'm just not familiar. And I, and when I, when I wrote these questions, I, I wrote it with this in mind, um, leading up to a question that we can get to later but uh, i was in a relationship with someone who suffered uh uh sexual trauma in their in their youth and during the process of this person eventually revealing this to me which was quite difficult for them and it took a long time for them to even tell me this and it wasn't like i it wasn't like i was pressing them to try to get this information but they finally told me this and i was very unsure of my role in that healing process or if i had one at all 
And that was really kind of difficult for me to navigate. Um, so I'm kind of just wanting to get maybe a little background on what are some of the therapies that people use uh, to help people concerning sexual trauma? And like, what can someone who maybe is not a victim themselves, but who is in a relationship with one or has a relationship with a victim of this might be able to help or support them? That is a crazy, crazy question. Yeah, I think it's interesting really to speak to you because I think that's probably something that a lot of people, a lot of men, but a lot of people, you know, are trying to navigate in terms of being the partner. And, you know, do you have a role in the healing? Could you potentially have a a negative impact based on how you react? It's quite a situation to be in. And then equally to acknowledge that it's not about you, you know, but yet to take take the time to figure out how that's interacting with you as well how does that interact with your own bag of of stuff you know um Mm -hmm. i think it's maybe an interesting time to talk about transference so transference in in a therapeutic relationship is um what we might project onto the client and what the client might project onto us so for example um when I was doing work with teenagers as part of my, uh, you know, gaining hours towards my qualification, um, that their transference was really obvious because a lot of the kids would put you in the role of mum or put you in the role of big sister or as friend. Um, And obviously, therapeutically, this can be dangerous waters because you're, you might get a lot of anger directed towards you they might try to manipulate you into playing that role and you might feel quite compelled to kind of play the mother role in a way play the fixer um and that's a real barrier to kind of making psychological contact with somebody you know really mm-hmm. um but the light side of that is that there's so much you can do with that transference so if we if i create a relationship with somebody where they needed something different from their mother and they are transferring some of that onto me. Um, You know, that can be a really healing relationship when the boundaries are secure and the boundaries are kind of communicated between us both. Um, When the ending of our therapeutic relationship is not traumatic for them and they can then transfer all of that back into their own issues. Does that make sense? Yes, mm-hmm. I'm following you. Yeah, so I think if you think like in a relationship, if let's say you're a man and you're in a relationship with a woman, well, think of all of the other male archetypes that she's had throughout her life. So she's had, you know, whoever, whatever dad means for her, whatever a brother means for her, whatever a, um, an abuser means for her or a past uh, relationship. Uh, a grandfather, all of these things, but it it often comes back to the father figure, I think, um, is that she naturally may transfer a lot of those relationships and expectations of what men are like onto you. Equally, the other way around, you know, all these psycho ex-wives and things, uh, you can be doing the best job in the world and your, your male partner can very much expect you to respond in the way that these that these women did or in the way that his mother did. And that could be like, you know, enmeshment or, you know, being um, kind of this kind of incestuous closeness that's smothering. 
Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't behave, this is the trippy part, if you don't behave in that way, if you don't respond to it, they will actually create situations to give you the chance to respond in that way, right? Mm-hmm. So you may feel sometimes like you're almost being tripped up or like you're you're being baited in a, in a in a subtle way and you might feel quite unsure of kind of how to respond to that and I think um it's difficult because with things like this people are often looking to be resistant towards whatever support is offered um and so you you need to have boundaries of what you can and can't offer but you need to also understand that she may uh she may have some generalizations about men that are totally valid and that is real in her world. Um, and I guess your job is to consistently, I think consistency is the key, just to consistently uh, maintain the boundaries like a father should as well, you know, and like um, like a mother should as well. Maintain those boundaries because I think that's what enables children to grow, isn't it, and to explore and I think that's mm-hmm. what we're, well, that's kind of what we mean when we say trying to create a safe space in a relationship for two mm-hmm. people. Um, so to try and answer your actual question, um, they, they use they use gestalt sometimes um, for sexual trauma, particularly when there's quite conflicted feelings, depending on who, who the abuser was. Um, uh, but it, it really depends on where the survivor or the victim of the abuse is at. So. I I find that the legal process can complicate things as well as the fact that a lot of therapists are not willing to go too deep because there's a certain risk. So, for example, I had regression hypnotherapy for some trauma that I had and that worked really well. But I found that it was difficult to actually find a therapist who was quite comfortable to do that, to go that deep, to almost work on that level um, because if the police ever come become involved in a case um, and the person has to give evidence, it can quite quickly be dismissed. If there's been any therapy that's been involving kind of the details or the memories of the actual event. Um, and so it's one of the more difficult things to work with, because as a therapist, you, you know, you really want to help. But your role is to be there and allow that person to feel what they're going through and not to necessarily offer solutions or try to iron out the details. Um, mm. And a lot of the time it's supportive. And I guess, again, you could you could take that on board in a relationship as well, that your role is really just to act as a container and a safe space. And if you feel that your responsibility is any more than that, you might really want to check that because you could have some kind of fixer syndrome or sometimes the more you try, the more resistance that you're met with. Um, mm-hmm. Because underneath a lot of times is a big amount of anger. And the difficult game that you're playing in therapy or in healing is that you're trying to really, for a lot of us anyway, we're really trying to allow ourselves to feel that anger. But that means there needs to be a safe container for it. And often that will be in therapy or with loved ones or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can see how I failed in that aspect many times during our relationship or it's hard to to even word it correctly, but it's like there were, I went through every bevy of emotions during that. Like there were times when I was like, obviously I felt resentful for certain things. It's hard to articulate what those are, but there was times when I felt like very hopeless, like to hear the person that you love the most tell you that they 
feel hopeless, you know, that gives you like a very hopeless feeling too. For like, sure. and, and there would be times when I'm like, is it right for me to carry all this? Like not, not, not only like, this is like multiple different issues here. First of all, is it my responsibility to try and help this person? Am I even morally and ethically correct in trying to help someone in an area that I have no knowledge or expertise of? Um, then is it also my responsibility to carry all of this um, on myself or should I be working on letting this go myself or mm. you know there was a lot of different things that came up in that that I was just so unsure about and um I still try to still trying to learn about that today because I've been in other relationships with similar circumstances and it's I mean sadly it seems to be quite almost normal like it's yeah. just almost every you know so many people have so many stories and things they've been through in their life. And it's just like that, that in and of mm. itself, the prevalence of it is pretty fucking sad. It's absolutely astonishing, isn't it? And I think that this is just the, how common it is to have had those experiences. And, and also I think there's something to what you were saying about, um, you know, wondering how much of it is, is your job to be involved in how much you should be taking on, um, I think it's quite difficult when you're when you're in a relationship and I, I guess I'm speaking more about a one-on-one -on -one relationship here and I know that there's lots of other models and that they have their own pros and cons but I think in a monogamous relationship you're um there is a deeply ingrained sense of needing to fulfill all the needs of the other person and needing that person to fulfill the majority of our needs um, and it can be quite, it can really feel quite difficult to let go of that, you know, to realize that you can't help somebody. But equally, I think that, um, you know, I've had experiences with clients where, or a client that I can remember where um, as soon as they began to realize for themselves that their partner actually couldn't help with this beyond a certain point, and that really what they needed to do was figure out what kind of support they needed from their partner, what kind of support that partner could offer, and actually learn to voice those needs. I think with a lot of survivors, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not too tight on the term survivors, a lot of people don't really like to be called it, but for argument's sake, um, I think learning to voice our needs, learning to voice what we actually want and what we need is a really big step. And what gets lost in a relationship a lot is, that actual process of communicating, um, okay, you can't fix this for me. And this is actually maybe causing some issues in our relationship and in our intimacy and all of that stuff. Uh, but what you can do, and sometimes the hardest thing to hear is, I need you to back off, you know. But some, if that's the type of support that is needed, then that, that's what you've you got to try and do, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I don't know, I may get some blowback for this episode for making this particular instance about me. And I understand that it's not about me, but I can't speak from her point of view, yeah. from from this person's point of view. I can only speak to like what what I was feeling during that time and what I was going through. So as I'm asking these questions about the person secondary to the actual uh, injustice, I'm not trying to negate or devalue that mm. experience um 
So what kind of effectiveness do we see with these traditional modalities or the modalities that you work in? And how might how does one even measure like effectiveness in something in an area like this? Well, that's that's difficult. I think that. um well, some of, I think there's so you could you could say you could look at the symptoms of the person and the things that they find it the ways in which they find it most difficult to function in life, and you could look at over time whether that's improving. Um, but I think a lot of it can stay quite hidden. Um, the problem with measuring it when you're working with clients is that you cannot help them with parts of their journey that they're not ready for, um, and it's not necessarily a linear process. So there might be people who've done a lot of work on one thing, but yet something else stays quite hidden um, that's quite intimate. Um, I think PTSD is a really big thing. I think so if you say maybe PTSD could be, you know, a potential effect of abuse um, and of sexual abuse, I think... um, So it's similar in terms of, like, how regular western therapies can help with ptsd there's a lot of people where it just doesn't get beyond a certain point you know um Mm -hmm. when we're talking to other humans and trying to have relationships with other humans and maybe we've been abused by somebody who is the same gender as them uh, or you know has some other similarity to them it's very difficult to heal and i think when you do something like psychedelics it's, it's so abstract um that it can really get under underneath some of those associations and those triggers, just like with PTSD of, of any kind, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, you know, because I think like, like I was saying about LSD, that, that trip probably taught me more about boundaries than any other. Um, And so I think sometimes those kind of ego affirming trips where you feel that resistance and you start to measure your own resistance that's kind of the way in to working with your vulnerability um you know once you start to be able to spot when you're being resistant to something and when it would be possible to be vulnerable that's when you can start to release stuff like this um Mm -hmm. i think it's just really difficult because whoever i speak to i'm kind of working in the way that I think is going to help them. Some people find it really useful to work through the chakras. So like a lot of times sexual abuse would be like a sacral chakra issue. And we could look at other other things that interact with that and unravel it from there. Other people won't respond to much else other than kind of CBT, you know, because some of what they're hearing just isn't kind of within their belief system. Um, I think the main thing to say is that I, I work in a, a person-centered way and the key principles of that are that you give the client complete autonomy over their healing. And so measuring it, it it's something that we don't necessarily measure unless I was to start asking each client a set of questions each time, which I'm kind of always tempted to do. And I am mm-hmm. kind of interested in research a lot. Um, but when with clients, I don't tend to, to try and measure it because uh, yeah, it, will, it, it will come up in a different disguise later in life, you know? Sure. And I realize that's a very, like, ambiguous question because 
I would an assume the, answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm assuming the best way to measure this would be to ask them how they feel about it. And, you know, that could be ranging and skewed depending on patient and circumstance and things like that. But um, the thing is, they might have built up a lot of ways to protect themselves. So although they might feel fine about the, the mm-hmm. abuse, perhaps they, they really, really do. They don't even see the value in an in a close relationship and growing from a relationship with another. And so that part of them is completely closed off. Um, or there's even, you know, it's even kind of possible that people will hide behind being extremely overweight for this reason, because they are just trying to make themselves um, feel non-sexual in a mm-hmm. way that was, you know, to feel sexualized by that person in, at that time was so horrifying to them. Um, mm-hmm. And these are things that can be so, so unconscious that, yeah, people people might not even realize this, that that's mm-hmm. the thing that's stopping them from changing. That's interesting. And that brings me to something I don't think I've ever told this on the show before, but I don't know. I'm going to I'm just going to say it now. It happened to me during ayahuasca and I still don't know exactly what it means. But I, it had a very strong feeling for me. I was shown this vision of a, a place that I know very well from my childhood, probably like six to eight years old, and it was like a just a pic, like a picture in my mind of like this hallway that I know, and this door at the end of the hallway, and I had this very like ominous, like dark feeling, and the ayahuasca was kind of like do you want to open this door? Do you want to know what's behind this door? And at that point, I was just going through so much in this experience that I said, no, I don't want to open that door right now. And it was like, okay, maybe we'll deal with this later. And it was like, gone. And it was like, back off into whatever else. And still to this day, I'm like, maybe I should have opened that door. I probably should have opened that door. That's what I was going to ask you. Do you you regret that? Maybe there'll be another time where it'll come up for you. I do regret that. And, but I'm also scared of that. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know that the feeling that it gave something very, like a feeling of deep dread, like, like I almost knew what was behind the door, but I was unwilling to open it. Wow. And I didn't really get anything. It was, that was literally only a single moment, but it was it, crystal clear to me. And I still don't know what it was, but I got a funny feeling that door will need to be opened one of these days. Well, do you know what's interesting is that um, just going back to hypnotherapy for a second, um, just because when you talk about opening doors, it makes me kind of recall some of my regression hypnotherapy that I had. And often they will use the technique of kind of you're, you're going down a corridor and there are different doors and you choose which ones to open and you kind of, you relive what's behind them. And the idea in my uh, script was to find the traumatic parts of my childhood and to actually go into the door and rescue my inner child from that situation and deal with it in the way that I felt that my parents or whoever should have dealt with it. Um, mm-hmm. That's some pretty powerful stuff. But the interesting thing about it is that I, I'd always been relatively skeptical of regression stuff and past life things. And I still think past life is a huge, hugely different thing from regression work. Um, but what it does do is it gives you a, a bit of a peep into the subconscious. So I wasn't planned. I hadn't planned which events to go back to at all. It was all completely intuitive. And I was quite surprised by the things that I came across. And when I went back, I kind of verified 
the ages and the times and stuff with my parents and I was like wow that that was completely accurate and I didn't even those memories seemed so distant before um so I think you may you're probably aware that like a lot of times after doing psychedelics people tend to be able to get into a meditative state more easily um so I, I feel like it's the same with hypnotherapy I think after you have a trip like that how cool would it be if you did some kind of regression work and you potentially could revisit that door on your own terms, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because even whatever it is that's behind that door and, and the feeling that I got from it, it d- didn't seem like it was just a scary moment in the trip, like a bat, like a hallucination that was frightening. It seemed mm-hmm. like this was a door to something that was important, but it was going to be really tough. And the odd thing is, I think about this, like this picture and this place and this time in my head, and I can't conjure anything consciously that would give me this feeling like whatever it is, if it is, in fact, something that's behind this door that I need to deal with, I have no conscious knowledge of what it is. I can't, I can't come up with it. But you don't know what behind it, but the feelings, the kind of conscious feelings that you've had around this, a kind of this kind of um regret and this thinking, oh my God, I, I you know, I could have found out what was behind there and am I still carrying something I'm completely unaware of? Isn't that kind of trippy in itself? And if you kind of ground that, then it, it kind of makes you wonder, well, what else in life do you feel um, you know, was unfulfilled or that you need to let go of that constant looking back about is it is that a lesson in itself mm-hmm. yeah and I'm not sure what that lesson is but I think about it way too much for it not to be something <laughs> important you know it's not like it's like all the time I'm like what was behind that door why didn't I open it well I know why I didn't because that the feeling that I got was just too big and I wasn't in a state that I wanted to I just didn't want to go into that that much yeah seeming darkness um, and it's probably good probably good that you didn't but I think I would be the same I think I'd be like oh you know was I not brave enough to do it or why didn't I you know take the opportunity and I'd be dying to do it again and again until I got back to the door so that in itself yeah. is kind of this like I said like the psychology of a psychonaut which sounds like a great book title doesn't it um yeah right. <laughs> you're always wanting to get the most out of it and uncover unturn every stone and I think a lot of the thing that it's taught me is just this patience you know why am I so obsessed with the idea of this is the next thing I need to try and how how much can I actually use the experiences that I've already had? You know, how much mm-hmm. is there left in there for me to integrate that I haven't even really touched on yet? And I think like DMT was the first DMT was the first thing that I tried actually before I tried that LSD. It was quite soon before. And um it took me a good year to to kind of piece together what effect that had on me in what ways it changed my life because I knew that life was changing but it was so quick so abstract and so bizarre and like you know um it drifts away like a dream as well and you Mm -hmm. just have to accept that and trust because you can feel that it's done something to you um and yeah so I feel I feel like it's taught me a lot of patience and just becoming comfortable with being in the unknown stuff and the things that I might never you know, this is one of my phrases that I use a lot at the moment is kind of looking at the parts of myself that are quite complex 
and thinking, well, these are paradoxes that I need to learn to manage. These are not problems that need to be solved, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. And that has helped me a lot with inner conflicts and trying to kind of help clients with looking at parts of themselves that are at odds with each other, trying to integrate those and understand that they're never, you know, realising that they're never going to go away can be quite daunting. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think that's the first part of the integration (laughs) process. Yeah, that's that reminds me. I mean, a lot of my uh, ayahuasca experience was almost like a lesson in integration in the experience itself. And I remember I kept asking, like, when is this going to end? When is this going to end? Because it was just so fucking intense. I just like I'm just like almost biding my time. I'm like sitting in the middle of this hurricane, just like, when is this shit going to stop? And (laughs) the answer I'm getting is like, it never ends. It never ends. And I'm like, no, that's not the answer I want. I need to know like the I need to know the beginning and the end. I need to understand and it's like, this goes on forever. You're going to continue to learn. You're going to continue to change. You're going to continue to evolve. Even after you die, you don't know what's going to happen after you die. Some other iteration of existence will take place. And it goes on and on and on. And like for a while, I'm like struggling against this concept. I'm like, no, I don't want it to go on forever. I need to know where the end is. And then finally, it's like, dude, just accept it that it's beautiful and it's going to be okay. And then like, I'm like, oh, it's going to go on forever oh, okay, this is beautiful. This is the most peaceful feeling I've ever had to know that this it goes on forever. It doesn't end and, and we keep changing and evolving. And so it was like the exact same lesson that like switched gears on me. And that that happened to me a couple of different times that night and on various other journeys. This is also really good for our attachment issues as well. Because um, we attach to all kinds of different things, not just to people, but to also um, identities, you know, parts of our identity that we become attached to for whatever reason. Um, and I think you can, you know, like people have an attachment to cocaine or heroin addiction, obviously, but, you know, there's an attachment to the whole concept or often to the lifestyle as well and the things that it helps them to avoid. Um, psychedelics i think if you look at each different like molecule as kind of having its own personality in a way and it's so so a lot of times we talk about them as being kind of a parental or like ancestor or like you know what it is but um i think a lot of psychedelics i think people have a really good attachment to them because you get that feeling of it's always going to continue and that's quite daunting but at the same time quite comforting as well um yeah and what you just described that kind of sitting in the rain and thinking when is this going to be over well that you know that really reminds me of how I feel about parenthood sometimes um which I think is the probably the trippiest experience of my whole life and I think it always <laughs> will be <laughs> I've always um, heard that I'm I'm not a parent but I, I can mm, imagine because it's just like a little you and it's triggering you and it's picking up parts of you that you'd rather it didn't and you you know you're struggling against the tide but it's also this this beautiful experience that you just can't take your eyes off it you know um and it's so out of your control as well you know Mm -hmm. you really can't you can only do so much to form a person and I think um also that my ability to play like with my child changed a lot um 
after doing shrooms because I was suddenly able to kind of be present in in nature or to find things as interesting as she found them I feel like I just didn't find you know I was just fucking seen it all you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's England as well it doesn't get that it doesn't get that beautiful Mm -hmm. now I'll tell you what now I I walk I like go on a walk in even in winter and it looks fucking horrible here but I'm looking around me like that looks beautiful look at that like look at that branch look at that plant yeah. look you know look at that stone the psychedelic experience kind of reminds you how psychedelic everything is like everything exactly. around us is collections of atoms vibrating in different like life forms growing feeding exactly. on each other and like yeah. wow if you really think about it on just a biological level this is the crate just everything is the craziest shit that's yeah. ever happened <laughs> And that's the positive side of it. So what we would hope is that people who've done psychedelics with kind of intention and and safety and whatnot, that they would come out of it feeling actually more connected to this world. Um, Whereas I think when done in the wrong setting or, you know, with the wrong intention, a lot of times people can feel actually quite disconnected. Like this is all some kind of matrix and this is all some kind of illusion. And, and I find myself torn between, you know, is this, is this the matrix or is earth like this spiritual, you know, entity and, and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think people can feel quite distant and actually people can feel unwilling to then invest themselves back into this material world. Um, and even just motivation and can become difficult when, a lot of people say, well, I'd like to quit my job, you know, after I do shrooms, but most people can't. And then they are stuck with that reality and it can come crashing down quite harshly back to them. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's the other side of it. But what we would hope, yeah, is that people come back actually feeling like they want to invest more in this world and that they mm-hmm. feel like they're coming home to this world in a way. Yeah. And I definitely I think that's definitely a legitimate concern when using these types of compounds, because make no mistake, these are some of the most destabilizing sure. experiences that you can have. Mm-hmm. Now, in my experience, it'll usually take you apart and then put you back together a little bit better than you were before. But for some people, that's not the case. And um, I know people who have become seemingly unhinged after psychedelic experiences and sometimes sometimes it's yeah it's that kind of like this is all fake and we're all in the matrix nothing is real but sometimes it's like that i'm god now thing people like to do and like i've had the experience of melding into like infinite consciousness and seeming as though i was a part of some godlike unity but I never came back and been like, oh, dude, I'm Jesus Christ. Like I've, I've, I've <laughs> it. like I saw it on ayahuasca. I'm Jesus Christ. And there's people who do that shit, dude. Like I was just watching this whole like mini doc on some famous YouTuber who started drinking ayahuasca and he's just completely gone off the rails and he's mm-hmm. claiming that he's Jesus Christ and that he's going to. It's yeah wild. and this is the worrying thing because some people with some of the most severe cases um can have some of the wildest transformative breakthrough experiences with mm-hmm. psychedelics but there's just uh there's that risk isn't there um of something like that happening but don't you think it's funny again how some people will do start have you know do psychedelics and they'll come back and they'll be like oh i guess i'm nothing and i'm okay with that and that feels yeah. fine. And other people come back and have gone completely the other end of the spectrum. Um, and I think that's quite interesting in itself. I think, uh, I think in a way, somebody. So I think my self-esteem and self-worth was something I was really trying to work on before. 
Um, and I, so, do you know, for me, resistance wasn't an issue. You know, I did DMT for the first time and broke through and felt absolutely no kind of resistance towards that. I completely surrendered and I was very, I found a lot of kind of strength and beauty in the idea of surrender and vulnerability. But that also came with, you know, minimal boundaries and not quite knowing what I wanted in comparison to what the people around me wanted. Um, and after a few psychedelic experiences, I felt that resistance actually grow. And along with that, I felt my boundaries become stronger and I felt my my sense of self, my solar plexus become stronger as well. And so that that was just something that I observed was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the concept that we have as, as a, of an ego as being something negative and something that we need to be working against um, is not true in, in every case sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, a lot of this is kind of like that yin and yang, the dichotomy, the balance. And yeah. I've had, bo- I've had all, I've had all of these experiences on, on psychedelics. I've had the experience of being reduced to like minutia and say, and being shown, look how small you are. And all of this, you're nothing like you're nothing, but that's okay. And I've accepted that and been like, you know what? I am small in this one aspect but it's okay to be small and it's okay to play yeah. your role. And then I've had the experience where I'm completely interconnected to what seems to be the consciousness of every single thing that's ever existed. And I'm so massive, so macro, like I'm like I'm just everything it, all at once. And it's yeah. like, see, you have this power within you. You have this massive amount of power within you that you have access to. And that feels really good too. And, uh, you know, I think there's kind of a middle ground between that and uh, I'm tiny and insignificant. Mm. That is probably a good place to hang out. Like, you don't want to. I think you're right. And I think, yeah, so I think I was, um, you know, hanging out more towards the I am nothing thing. And I think actually a bit of resistance, a couple of points in trips where I was questioning, could I deal with this or not and stuff. It almost built my ego or made me be able to identify my ego enough to actually apply it you know, in a, in a good way. But this is something else I wanted to, whoa. <laughs> okay. So something else I wanted to ask you as well was, so what is our psychology? A lot of people that want to do psychedelics, like have this, they're, they're working towards something good, right? You know, they want to better themselves. They generally want to feel kind of more connected and stuff. Like what would what do you reckon happens if people start to take psychedelics who don't have that mindset? So like a ma- like somebody who's a massive narcissist and doesn't mm-hmm. and doesn't necessarily feel the need to change, and then they go and take a bunch of shrooms. This is what I'm really interested in. What, what That's a it? really good question. And I've thought about that too, but I like to believe that these compounds are stronger and bigger than us. And mm. so I, my, I'm of the school of thought that what these people need almost more than anything is a large <laughs> dose of certain psychedelic that so will really mm. just shred all these things. Because look, I, you might be the most, the biggest narcissist and super egotistical and all this, but your ego is not going to withstand the right dose of DMT. It's yeah. just not going to. Um, yeah. And if it but can, then, then maybe you're some kind of super seek, villain. <laughs> they, they don't kind of seek these experiences out so much. You know, mm-hmm. you don't tend to find, um, or some of them, if they do, it's because of a narcissistic sort of desire to kind of conquer something or 
Um, I think you see that as I think you see that as well. A lot of this kind of like ego or this like spiritual like yeah. neo shamanism where people are like, I can take more mushrooms than anybody, and like, eh, dude, I think you're maybe missing the point. But um, for sure. I, I, I like to think that these compounds are conscious enough to handle those kind of things. And I'd like to see. I'd like to observe it. <laughs> like, I'd like to see. I'd like to hear Donald Trump, like, give, like, a little, like, integrate. Like, I'd like to see. I'd like to be a fly on the wall in Donald Trump's integration mm-hmm. circle after, like, five grams or after an ayahuasca ceremony. Just yeah. to see, like, what he says. If he's still like, I'm the best at drinking ayahuasca, um, I can do more ayahuasca <laughs> than anyone, or if he's just a puddle, you know, just trying. That's not yeah. a bad impression. Yeah, because you have to think that they must have very strong defense mechanisms, right? Not, to, you know, cognitive dissonance and everything. And um, if if the experience did get under the lid of that, that could potentially be a very wild, like, you know, very uh, ego shattering trip for them. Um, and with those kind of trips, again, it like you kind of have like a window of opportunity, I think, quite near to the beginning after your trip where you can either suppress everything and your defences get built up really strongly and you kind of dismiss it. Um, or you suddenly realise that you have all this stuff to confront about yourself and you you somehow muster up the courage to, to do that work. Um, but the. This is this is the paradox, right? Is that uh, abusers, right? A lot of times have been abused, haven't they? Um, mm. And have massive inner conflicts in themselves. And I wonder, I really wonder what would happen if if they, you know, what what would how would psychedelics interact with somebody who's abused children? Mm-hmm. I I don't know, but I I wonder about it. Yeah, I think that's fascinating to consider, and I think it could go any number of ways. I mean, I could only imagine the possibilities of the hellish torture they might have to endure uh, going into these realms. Um, Potentially, yeah. I mean, another question is, do they actually deserve that? And I I don't know what the answer to that is, but, but, you know, maybe taking it back a step, you know, what if people did this stuff in more controlled, uh, you know, sooner, earlier in life? Um, what if it was an option to more people? And um, what if this actually saved a lot of people from becoming abusers in the first place? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I definitely I credit uh, psychedelics for p- nudging me away from my anger and my resentment because right. I took my first I took my first psychedelic. Uh, I had my first psychedelic experience when I was six, 17. And then I had several other intense psychedelic experiences later that year. And when when I turned 18. So through these like handful of big psychedelic experiences, it kind of like my, I was so young and impressionable that it Mm. kind of like tilled the, the, the ground in my mind to be more open and less like, I wasn't so interested in following the status quo, which was a yeah. Not necessarily a good thing because it caused a lot of problems for me, like mm. based on the society that we lived in. In reality, the things I was doing weren't harmful to anyone other than maybe myself yeah. because I was experimenting with lots of different drugs and things like that. 
But I also think the mushrooms, especially because LSD was kind of like the cerebral, like brain candy, like, holy shit, this is so crazy. I cannot believe this shit. And mushrooms was more of like having a dream about yourself and like you wake up from this dream and it's really kind of hard to remember but it softens you in a way it's like that's so accurate because you know just like how you're describing lsd i feel like a lot of times it's slightly less personal it makes you feel like you're part of everything else a little bit less so shrooms maybe makes you feel like everything else is a part of you in a way um i think it's different every time isn't it really but i think that with shrooms you you kind of that that's the psychedelic where you end up saying hilarious stuff like you'll be kind of tearing up and you'll just look at each other like I think I was just supposed to love myself more you know and then you you know you come you come down from it and you kind of want to repeat it or like but it kind of just seems flimsy and it's just so simple it's it's not complex at all these Mm -hmm. kind of thoughts whereas on on LSD those thoughts can become multiplied and become more complex quite quickly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, so I think, I, I mean, I've always been an advocate for early and repeated use, but that's because that was the way, I, that's the way I did it, and that's the way that worked for me, yeah. and that's a major portion of defining my life and who I am, and I'm pretty happy with who I've become, um, and psychedelics have always been there to guide me in a way, um, and well, show me. What do you think me. about age then, about sort of the age at which people begin Shit, like I said, I started at 17. I'd say that's about good. I mean, <laughs> I've always I I always said like I want to take my kids to do this with me like Oh man, same. Right if, around, you, if, if she's up for it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm thinking like right around the time that the world really starts to influence them because mm. this these experiences just show you that there's more than what you're going to see on TV and on the internet. Right. Um, and so I think that having that all inspiring experience as early as possible is a good thing. It was for me, I can't speak that generally, but I'd say, dude, if you're going into 10th, 9th, 10th, 11th, by the time you get out of high school, it's about that time. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's interesting because I can remember a lot of awe-inspiring experiences in my childhood. You know, things that were just pretty or like kind of psychedelic looking or, you know, like, you know, live music and lights and things. Um, and I felt sad when I reached an age that that kind of seemed to go away. You know, those mystical experiences. And I think that and then that's kind of what I was seeking. But interestingly enough, um, you know, obviously I wouldn't I I think I've met a couple of people anecdotally who have used psychedelics at a really, really young age. And that just fascinates me because one, I have, I guess, a general hypothesis that childhood is extremely psychedelic and that um, it's quite trippy. You know, everything is distorted in a way um, and children live and they they go more freely between their imaginary worlds and the reality that's around them um so the danger is that psychedelics fuck with your version of reality you know and i think people do need to build up there's a value in building up a decent ego and some good defense mechanisms in life you know to get you through stuff make you able to operate in the world but um 
the two people that I'm mentioning, one of them started using acid when he was about 13 and used a lot of it. Um, and the other one, I hope she doesn't mind me mentioning this. I won't say her name, but she, I think she, this was an anecdote really, but she was, she was in the jungle with her dad and she did drank some ayahuasca when she was young, you know, less than a teenager. Um, and don't think it was, hopefully it probably was, wasn't, a, you know, a proper dose, but mm -hmm. she just remembers apparently, or her dad remembers her kind of sitting in the forest, like just drumming for a really long time and just kind of being in her own thing. And I was just like, damn, like you should never necessarily recommend anybody to do that. But at the same time, does that offer something? Does that speak to my hypothesis that, that children are kind of more in this world than we are anyway, and that they walk between with less difficulty and less resistance? Well, I think you're talking about something that Terrence McKenna was really big on, and that's the concept of novelty. So when you're young, as you're growing, you're experiencing these things. You've never experienced most of this shit before. Yeah. Then there's like a point in your life where you've kind of – there are certain novel things that come up, and you can experience these, and then they lose their novelty over time. But the psychedelic experience is novel every single time, yeah. no matter how, how many times you go in, no matter which psychedelic you take. If you take the right dose, you're going to have a very – highly novel experience in yeah. one way or another. Um, and, you know, this is very, this is very attractive. You know, I often think about this too. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Like It's very compelling, like, isn't it? Like you were saying about the resistance building. Now that I've been doing this for, so, when I was young, I was fearless. I, mm. and this is, I'm going to kind of try to tie this all into the being young thing and, and another portion about what I think about taking psychedelics being young. Okay. But I don't think I had a good framework early on because I was so young. And so I think the psychedelic experience may be lost on a lot of people that are so young because it's so abstract and bizarre that if you don't already have a, a, at least a little understanding of how the world works and yourself, it might just be lost on you. And I know a lot of people like yeah. this, dude, ha, 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 we're going to drop some acid. It's going to be awesome. And like I remember people like this giving me my first acid dose and me taking this dose of acid and just being like flabbergasted at the where what was happening yeah. to me. And um, afterwards, I'm like, you guys are – taking this for like are you yeah for real I mean <laughs> that's a big fuck? thing and also I, I guess I, I very much had that same experience and I, I thought it was going to be mostly a visual like eye candy type of thing you know just some wacky shit um you know as soon as I took shrooms I, I was just like oh my god like it's pulling me in all sorts of emotional directions and I've never laughed like this since I was you know, skiving off school with my best friend in high, in high school, secondary school. Um, mm. That was psychedelic. You know, the amount that we laughed, the joy that we managed to find in just being naughty at school. I mean, it was, and I remember, and I started to remember, remember things like that. And it takes you down a kind of rabbit hole. And then you're thinking, am I getting a bit too deep into what I'm, you know, thinking about? Um, and before you know it, you're kind of laughing at something that you, something that's glowing on the other side of the room or something um yeah. and it, I found it quite quite a lot gentler than LSD um but DMT you don't really have a choice about it's not about whether it's gentle because you're not involved mm -hmm. it's all being done 
but you're mm-hmm. it, it's very different yeah I can't remember what See, the question was <laughs> DMT uh, I don't think I really had posed a question but I, DMT for me is more memorable than like LSD and shrooms like even either ayahuasca or smoking it I can re- I retain more when it's DMT mm. psilocybin for me is very dreamy very hazy right. especially once it's over it's almost like yeah. Did that really happen? Or I can't put my finger on the kind of way that it evaporates. But for me, DMT, a lot of times I'll come out of the DMT flash and I'll be like, give me a pen and a paper. I need to write this shit down right now. And like, you know, That's I'll start true. like yeah. sprawling. <laughs> yeah, I've got some trip diaries from the fact when I first, um, you know, used DMT, I tried to write it all out. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. And I think especially like, so with, with DMT, I, I would kind of get, messages you know like a not something that I would be audibly hearing but a very clear instruction almost from the DMT mm-hmm. <laughs> and um that that was one of the trippiest things for me and I think uh again I thought that it was going to be all about visuals with shrooms my favorite thing about shrooms is the, is listening to music and going into mm-hmm. that experience and again after I first did shrooms properly um I feel like it completely unlocked my sacral chakra. So not only was there was a lot of trauma held there, but there was also like a creative block. And since that point, I picked up my guitar back up, which I hadn't picked up for years. I'm sick now, you know, like doing that all the time and expressing myself in ways that I, I suddenly realized I hadn't done in years. Um, and so, yeah, a, another area that massively interests me is how do the how do psychedelics interact with art you know I mean that's just a whole other topic in itself but on, on an individual level um you know have you yeah have you felt more artistic has there been a new way of expressing yourself after you've done had an experience for me yes there's always uh, because I'm kind of a documentarian just naturally I like to I love to write and do this kind of stuff and I kind of just like to share things just Mm. as a part of my personality but uh, for sure like after ayahuasca it was like a torrent of like especially writing and I started painting too which I would like to do some more of actually, but like my writing just was for probably like six months after ayahuasca is just like this torrent that I would just come out of me like on a daily basis. And I'd be just writing, writing, writing. Um, I always do this after my, I, I do this after almost any psychedelic experience, because for me, writing is a way of framing things. And when I write about my psychedelic experience, it sometimes can trigger or unlock like, deeper understandings of the experience for me like I'll start writing about a certain portion and I'll be like what does that really mean though like what's the lesson in it and then like it'll kind of come to me and so I really enjoy translating the psychedelic experience into writing or into spoken word because Mm. I I feel like a lot of people are just writing trip reports and I'm like yeah I agree there's no reason for me to try to explain to you what's actually happening in my trip because it's first of all it's impossible second of all it is so bizarre and alien that like what's the point but Mm -hmm. if I can take what it's showing me and put it in plain language or if I can like somehow get this emotion out of it 
and explain what that emotion is to me. And I get really good feedback on that. And a lot of people, uh, a lot of people really like that because, you know, yeah. we've had arrow with now for thirty for. years. What words aren't yeah. very good for for describing the sense, how the senses are when you're on psychedelics, because you know even just the kind of concept of synesthesia and how do you explain that you're hearing that you're seeing a sound? You know what does that even look like for you? And a lot of you know like with DMT, it's eyes eyes closed and you're seeing like this bright lights that are brighter than what's behind your eyelid, you know, in front of your eyelids. Um, but it's insight, isn't it? Is mm-hmm. that's the concept of insight? You're seeing it inside yourself for some reason so I think that's yeah I think the way that you talk because I guess I kind of first kind of listened to the show and I was like "Mm, is it going to be a bunch of people just talking about what they saw and these crazy kind of entities and stuff but it's really about the process that's going along with it and I think that's that's what comes out in your like pieces that you've written a lot um but that that's kind of the same process that you know I would go through with a client a lot of times is teasing out those kind of things you know processing that trip and then just using some really fun like techniques like you know the kind of gestalt stuff and the um anything by Carl Jung is right up my street because the whole concept of this kind of shared archetypes and the collective unconscious really speaks to me when it comes to psychedelics you can kind of interact with that quite quite a lot Uh, the same way that you could interact with somebody when you're doing a tarot reading for them um so again it's reflective questions that you're asking yourself you know it's not an answer to a question it's mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing whatever you need to see really in the cards and drawing whatever you need to and that that shows you what was already in your subconscious um mm-hmm. so that that's again a, a similar kind of process of unraveling the content you, you have to attribute meaning to the content sometimes rather than expecting it to be a complete answer in itself yeah. And I think that the psychedelic experience definitely helps with that. Uh, maybe even a little bit too much. You know, you're attributing <laughs> so much meaning, meaning to all these things that are happening. Yeah. And it's like sometimes it's just like, just be quiet for a second, dude. Just sit here and don't you don't have to follow every crazy little wormhole that pops into your head. For sure. And, and I think uh, uh, that breathing was... techniques are really important to learn actually before you do psychedelics, because I think that's the key way, you know, like when you're having a challenging moment you're just like if I can just keep breathing through this you know mm-hmm. that really helps I remember, I remember during my ayahuasca ceremony so many people were it seemed like the whole room was just <sighs> everyone's <laughs> breathing it's like everything is just <sighs> and I'm like I'm like fuck dude I should have learned how to breathe before I came here man I'm like the only one in who doesn't know how to breathe right and uh so as I like get more comfortable through the night, I'm like, I think I'm just gonna do what this guy next to me is doing and see how it goes. So I'm just like, <sighs> like ten times, and I'm like, holy shit, dude, this is amazing. Okay, before I come back and that's do awesome. this next time, I have got to actually know something about this because that yeah. was like became one of the things. And the second night I used it, like even though I didn't really know what I was doing, I would just. I would experimentally use it to see kind of how it would alter the way I was feeling. And then sometimes I'd be, you know, too far out and it would help me come back to reality. Well, uh, you know, that's kind of like um, how, so breathing, I mean, there's lots of techniques, isn't there? But there's, there's kind of common principles in, in the fact that like, you know, Navy SEALs, one of their, 
techniques, I think, is to breathe in through the nose and then to hold and then to exhale for longer than the inhale. And that just calms your parasympathetic nervous system right down. Uh, so if you're a sniper and you're trying to take a shot, that's pretty useful. Calm your heart rate down and things like that. Um, mm. And you could be as airy fairy about it as you like, really, as spiritual about it as you like. But there, there's some reason. There are some real reasons why breathing is quite important for that. Uh, another, on another thread, um, they talk about these techniques a lot in sex and orgasm and the right kind of controlled breathing can, you know, really give you quite a different experience as well. Um, and, and sex is pretty, pretty trippy. You know, it's a certain certain union, a certain vulnerability, a certain amount of surrender and ego into playing with it. Um, and. Yeah, I, I think that that's added to my list of other things in real life stuff, which is trippy. And that if you do trip, yeah. you can sort of apply a lot of stuff and understand, uh, you know, being a teenager is trippy. Near death experiences are trippy as fuck. Like I mm -hmm. said, like heartbreak, parenthood, you know, music, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Life is real, real trippy when you get right down to it. And. Yeah, there are things like I, I forget who said it, but they said it's like practicing for death and it's kind of oh, like wow. the like the like the psychedelic experience or going through a major breakup or losing a loved one. It's kind of like you learning to cope with loss sure. and varying levels of magnitude over time. And uh, I think the psychedelic experience can help you with that because it can bring you Definitely. to a point where it where it's asking you to let go of everything. And yeah eventually you can struggle and struggle and struggle but eventually it'll show you like it's okay and you you let go of a little bit at a time and there's certain things you won't want to let go of kind of like my door i wasn't sure what was behind that door and i don't know if i want to know um and there was a specific point in my ayahuasca ceremony where it was asking me seemingly to let go of my relationship with my ex-girlfriend. It was like, you know, you need to let relinquish this, too. And I yeah. said, no, I am not going to let go of this. I've let you've asked me to let go of a lot of shit tonight. I've let that all go. I'm not going to let go of this. And she's like, OK, have it your way. And so. Mm -hmm. It's and it's it's like a mini training session. And I've and I've said that in, in so many different aspects, like I feel like the psychedelic experience is a microcosm for life. And exactly. It's your training. Exactly. Ground. But this is this is kind of what, you know, bringing it full circle back to the beginning of our conversation, how if I'm working with a group, of, you know, a client group which has um, relationship problems, this is this is a microcosm of what's going on in the bigger picture. You know, all of the stuff is connected to that. If it's somebody who has an addiction issue, again, that that interferes with their relationships, with every other aspect of life. And what you're doing is looking at how it's manifesting in this habit or in this relationship. But I feel like on a spiritual level, it comes back to to the same core kind of dissatisfaction. Um, and I think that, like you were pointing out earlier, like psychedelics have helped me to accept um, the loss of novelty. I think I kind of grew up, you know, really hoping for my Hogwarts letter and hoping that I would be whisked away to some kind Hell of yeah. <laughs> place where magic was real. And I just think that the idea of a, like an ayahuasca ceremony is, is really as close as you can get to fucking magic. And imagine, imagine if you had the opportunity to go through something like that with 
with a parent, you know, as mm. an adult, that would just be mind-blowingly potentially healing. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that, and I've always wanted to do that. And I've seen people do that, and Have it you? looks like everything that Does you it? think it would be, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's always the kind of like the beginning part is tumultuous and then at the end it's a lot of crying and hugging and really beautiful. And just to just to be there to watch that is healing and partially healing in and of itself. You're like, holy shit, it is possible. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm so happy that I get to be privy to this. Um, But, yeah, that would be some real, real weird shit. Because I think that relationships between parent and child or between siblings is one of the most obvious places to look at your shadow aspects and where your shadow will confront you over and over again. Uh, Bits Mm -hmm. of yourself that you'd rather suppress and that you don't, you know, those moments like, oh, my God, I'm turning into my mother or, you know, that kind of conflict that comes up. Um, So I just think I just yeah, I just wonder I'm I'm quite pleased to hear that you've seen it and that it does look like everything I'm thinking it it could be yeah but it, I will it tell you what it looks like a like a weepy yeah cuddle puddle like reuni- <laughs> yeah exactly there's yeah. a lot of inner child healing going on for both people and I think that's again why parenthood is so trippy because your inner child has such a massive opportunity to heal just based off how you interact with the child as well um but a lot of people like will go about that in the wrong way. So they will use their child to make things okay for them, if that makes sense. And parents can be quite manipulative in that way. Um, but it's, it's often unconscious. I think the psychedelics of, you know, it's not necessarily that I you know think that I want my daughter to grow up to want to do this. I'd be actually so impressed if she was just like one of those people that's just content with like, just mm-hmm. life being the way it is and doesn't feel the need to sort of that type of person I really that interests me a lot as well um but I think it's it's given me a lot more patience in my parenting um and it's made it really obvious to me when I'm looking at my child but when I'm actually seeing an element of my shadow self or a bit that I'm thinking oh she's got that from me and I'm really scared of that because I know I think I know what that could lead to or I know what that was like for me and it's pointed these things out to me in kind of a rude way like you know psychedelics really brought a lot of irony into my life like that is pretty funny that some of these like kind of entities can be almost threatening but it's almost like they're kind of laughing at you slash Mm -hmm. with you like isn't it so funny how the answer to this is actually so simple and you think you're here for this big thing and it's actually Mm -hmm. just love and oneness and I don't know Yeah. (laughs) And I've had that experience too, where it's like, they're laughing at me and I'm like, why are you, why the fuck are y'all laughing at me? Like, and and I'll get kind of like almost offended and they're like, dude, you don't get it. Why don't you just laugh at yourself? And I'm like, ah, (laughs) okay. So maybe, yeah, don't take yourself so seriously. Cause like, I've had that so many times where I'll almost get to this point of offense. Like, why are you, cause it's almost like they're picking like, yeah teasing you teasing is a good way to do it and then I say they and I use this kind of language because it's difficult to explain but I it could be maybe another part of your own subconscious like saying hey dude like just stop taking yourself so seriously that's true (laughs) dude that's an interesting point so I was listening to your episode as well with was it the temple of light or Mm -hmm. yeah the temple of it yeah. That was quite fascinating again because they they look at 
you know, the molecules as actual entities in themselves. Um, and mm-hmm. what's the word? Um, yeah, they think God's... they're the physical, they think they're the physical incarnation of God. They think mm. that like literally LSD is yeah. a God and yeah. NT is a God. Yeah. Which is, you know, you can see, you can, I can understand that to, to an extent, I think, but I think it's so interesting, the opposite, well, not the opposite, but at the same time, it could be another part of yourself, a future self, a past self, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Um, some part of you or a voice of someone else, or like the voice of somebody that you've known in your life that you're now integrating into yourself, you know. Sure. Um, yeah, man, I can't I kind of remember what my point was about that. But yeah, it's kind of comes back to the gestalt therapy, how it's this communicating with things that aren't necessarily there. And about the kind of laughter thing. Um I think that definitely happened to me. And I think it was part of myself because what I'd done was I'd done, you know, DMT and then I'd sort of had that experience. And then about half hour later, tried to do it again. I think this was like my first time of doing it. And it was just, you know, I was kind of coughing. I felt a bit like nauseous and I got there to that place and they literally just kicked me out and they were just like they were laughing at me but in a compassionate kind of way of like we're always going to be here whether you're seeing us or not you know don't be so desperate your attachment issues are overwhelming because you're just desperate to get back to this place and we're always here and you don't need to rush and just what makes you think you can just start doing dmt first thing you've ever tried and then just do it again straight afterwards and expect a similarly mind-blowing trip you know Uh yeah yeah and they they will they will correct you and yeah (laughs) Yeah. I've been corrected in usually not too harsh of a way but I've kind of had the boot or sometimes I've got stuck where they almost like wouldn't let me in and I'm like I'm right here at the door just let me through and it's like and then I'm stuck in this kind of like halfway like waiting room i don't like that place that's uncomfortable but yeah well i've kept you here for about an hour and a half yeah no this has been it been a well it's 10 about 10 o'clock so yeah i'm probably gonna ramble if we talk for much longer i'll just start talking (laughs) like a tired person but uh, this has been fascinating and great to speak to you and i really enjoy the show thank you so much i appreciate your support um yeah, it's been great talking to you. Glad to have you. Glad we were able to do this. We did it on pretty short notice, too. That was pretty good. Yeah, we didn't talk that much about it. It wasn't that much planned for me, but I just thought that I felt I like, like I would be like comfortable you. freestyling it with you. <laughs> Hell yeah. And it usually is. Like, dude, this is my show is not – you listen. It's not super, like uh, – formatted but uh some people like they want to like do a preliminary chat they want to like they want a list of everything i'm gonna ask i'm like nah dude but i just thought (laughs) i'll just be be congruent in in what i know because you then you attract people who need that information but but equally i i was kind of attracted to the show because i think it uh, having been trained as a therapist in the UK, one of the biggest things is not self-disclosing to clients and not really speaking, being the grey man and not not encouraging that transference that we talked about, um, you know, be, being a blank slate for people to interact with and form a relationship. But in America, just culturally, it seems that a lot more therapists are going down the route of being completely open about their story and using that quite a lot. Um, and your show in particular is just quite kind of very honest. Um, and I thought it would be fun to just have a bit more of a relaxed kind of chat, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm glad you were down to do it. Yeah, I've I've literally had people who are like, no, I can't. well, uh, 
and in all fairness, I've I've reached out to some f- people who are fairly uh, famous in psychedelic circles. Yeah. And some of them, they're like, you know, no no offense, but due to my position in the community and like my career and everything, I can't yeah. just freestyle on your show. Like I have to be aware of what's going to be asked and things. And I'm like, okay, that I can understand. Like, and for anyone who asks yeah. that, I can understand it. But and you know, I, I think if we'd really have like had more, that. if we'd have prepared this a lot a lot longer in advance, I probably would have got those nerves at some point and been like, hey, can we plan this a little bit? Or you know, um, but yeah, I, I think if you if you try to be honest then you will attract sort of people and again like I said I think this, my decision was that because of you know where I live and that these substances are not available legally now that I'm actually trying to be an active part of this community and working with other people I, I do feel I have a responsibility not to source them illegally for myself you know and I feel like I have a responsibility to kind of plan my trips in, in other locations and stuff um but that that doesn't mean that I can't talk about my my previous experiences and I did sort of think that over a little bit before coming on sure. you know Oh yeah for sure when I first started doing this I used to like want to remain completely anonymous and like I don't know I went through a lot of weird phases with this yeah. but then after I drank ayahuasca ayahuasca was like <laughs> Basically, like, just do whatever the fuck you want, dude. Like, stop trying to stop trying to dissuade yourself in this aspect. Just That's talk right. about just it. Get out of your it. own way. Yeah, yeah. So that was good for me. But, uh, anyways, why don't you tell the good people where they can find you on Instagram? I'm gonna link all your stuff. But anything you're working on that you'd like for people to check out? Sure. So I'm, you know, working privately with clients. A lot of my work, I'm working with people in in the U.S. and Canada and places where there's more easily available access. But I would definitely encourage any U.K. listeners to get in touch because there is a place in therapy for these experiences, and they can be very, very valuable. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are clued up on it, but you never know. Some some therapists might not be, and then that might really disrupt the relationship there. So um, I think it's just what what I'm bringing is somebody that is aware, has experienced, and is open to looking for the therapeutic value in in these experiences. So I've recently set up my Instagram, which is at trippy dot advisor, trippy with an I not a why. And yeah, the web address is uh, trippyadvisor.com, which is a good place to find me as well. And there's a bit more, a little bit more information on there about. Um, but do you know what's interesting? Most of my clients that I'm working with now found me through the MAPS website. So really? that's, been, that's been a really good one to be on as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I first started the show, my first like many, many of my guests came directly off that directory. I literally yeah. just like found that directory and I was like, it's great, click, click, it? click, 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 <laughs> click, 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 click. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, and I only got a, like maybe through like the C's or something on the list. There's so many, it's such a great resource yeah. and I'm glad that you're listed on there. Um, yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So thank you once again for coming on the show and, uh, it's been great. Good luck with everything, and I'll keep in touch with you. All right, sweet. We'll do this again one of these days. Peace. Bye. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. Give it up for Isabel from Trippy Advisor. Follow her on Instagram at T-R-I-P-P-I period A-D-V-I-S-O-R. Trippy.advisor 
on Instagram. You can check her out on the web as well at trippyadvisor.com. Trippy is spelled the same way with an I instead of a Y. No period for the webpage, www.trippyadvisor.com. Check her out, all the cool stuff she's doing. Uh, get in touch with her. And uh, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show, Isabel. I, if you're listening to this, I'm assuming that you will. Um, thank you for coming and doing that. I really appreciate it. And in final personal news, I am still kind of finding my way and my place here in Sao Paulo. Um, still kind of working it out. Um, I talk a lot more in depth about my own personal struggles and my life at the moment and uh, my psychedelic experiences in my No Trip Sitter episodes, which are only available to Patreon uh, Patreon pledgers. Uh, become a Psychedelicast Psychonaut at www.patreon.com slash psychedelicast to have access to all kinds of uh, exclusive and early video releases and uh, No Trip Sitter episodes and other segments with other psychonauts like yourself discussing their trips and experiences. Other than that, follow us on the social medias at Psychedelicast for Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, same thing, but with two T's, Psychedelicast with two T's uh, on Twitter. Share our stuff. Uh, subscribe to the podcast in the podcatcher of your choice and uh, drop us a review with some stars. That really helps us out. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Let's do our quote and get out of here. And we'll close out here with one from Mr. Alex Gray. Be an artist of consciousness. Your picture of reality is your most important creation. Make it powerfully, profoundly beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here at Psychedelicast for another episode and a fascinating chat with Trippy Advisor. We appreciate every time that you stop by and spend some time with us in the attempt to pry open the third eye. Take good care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.